I don't know why I'm constantly startled by the show starting. We literally have been talking for five minutes before we start recording. And then some spell is cast. And I'm like, where are we? Who am I? I'm like Ross Perot's running mate. A perfect reference for Gen Z that I'm sure loves us. And I'm like, what's going on? And then you start talking and I immediately become defensive and start attacking you. And shut down conversation. Why are we hosting a podcast? Welcome to Your Inner Child is an Idiot, <laughs> the podcast where we look back on things from our childhood and apparently the 1992 <laughs> presidential election and, <laughs> and see if they were any good. My name is DJ. Uh, my name is Damon, and I'm currently angry with myself that I cannot remember Ross Perot's running mate in the 1992 election. Millard Fillmore, strangely enough. <laughs> He's like, I can get my name back in people's good graces. <laughs> Just put me on the ticket, Ross. No, Miller. Yes, Fil- I am the walking undead. <laughs> Miller Fillmore the sixth. I think actually. <laughs> my grandpappy. He did some things. And totally, actually, he didn't do much things. That's the problem, Miller <laughs> Fillmore. In totally unrelated news, we'll be covering mm-hmm. Scrooge today because. We so desperately wanted to talk about Bill Murray, and this is our way of staying relevant and celebrating <laughs> the holiday season. Two pleasant things, talking about uh, a beloved American actor that no one has any problems with and never will, and mm-hmm, Christmas, mm-hmm. a famously um, unproblematic holiday that everyone celebrates, regardless of uh, religion or where you live, and it's not... Creed. Uh, it's not become like a, you know, a, a springboard for political arguments, just acknowledging that the holiday exists or that you do or don't celebrate it. What I like about them is that there are two things. Bill Murray and Christmas are two things that mm-hmm. uh, one of which causes seasonal affective disorder. And the other mm-hmm. thing is Christmas. That's no. what I like about them. No, oh, I really got Bill Murray that Bazinga. time. He's going to need some aloe for that burn. I just really laid on him. Okay, so we began um, our season this year talking about Bill Murray and Groundhog Day, and I think we may have acknowledged a little bit of maybe he's an asshole, but like, not really. A lot has happened since then, and actually pretty recently, as far as what's come out. I don't know, did it start with Gina Davis's book, or where did that start? I think it started with, there was a weird, I remember seeing a weird acknowledgement, like in, in, the trades and by which i mean av club um where it said that someone uh was fired from uh as apparently aziz ansari's movie that's right and they phrased it in a way where people were like what's going on with aziz ansari and yeah and they're like nothing apparently it's completely unrelated we just put his name in the headline for reasons Zero don't worry reason. about it yeah um and uh and then I think it's slowly come out in the last few weeks that it was Bill Murray was the person who was fired and it was because he had sort of made, I'm trying to sort of cobble together the two sides of this, a sexual joke towards one of the aides. And she says it was very sexual and then he was coming on to her. He says it was a joke and it was taken in bad faith. Um, but wasn't he also, didn't he like climb on top of her or something? There was, there yeah, was a physical element. Yeah. You know that yeah. joke where yeah, I like climb on joke. top of you and force myself on you and you're like laughing and I'm laughing and we're all having a great time that kind of joke what's the problem no this is obviously like a sensitive situation and i don't 
I'm not going to pretend like I know all the details because I like skimmed a couple articles about it. But uh, <laughs> what it did do is unleash a, a deluge of Bill Murray's an asshole or Bill, Bill, Bill Murray's uh, creates a, a creep hostile work environment or like, you know, Gina Davis's stuff. And then like a clip of Gina Davis on Arsenio Hall came up where Bill Murray's like stroking her while she's trying yeah. to talk and like takes her the strap of her dress down. It's really gross. And then I think Angelica Houston has talked about like uh, her yeah. on uh, The Life Aquatic with him. And, and then I think it also resurfaced all this talk about the first Charlie's Angels movies where Lucy Liu was like, this guy's a fucking asshole. And that's the reason that Bernie Mac is in the second Charlie's Angels movie. Like he is at best, he is a beast to work with. He's just a complete asshole. And at worst, he is someone who is sort of making uh, sexually suggestive remarks or actions in a work environment. Um, did you, but even, did you... I mean, Gina Davis's story, I think, really works in the context of like framing this stuff. Allegedly, that was for our lawyers. I was looking directly at him in that he like sort of in her story, he tells her explicitly like he does this to put everyone in their place. Like right. so that there won't be a next time where someone fucks up, at least according to his perspective, so that he can sort of assert dominance on a set. And yeah. it just seems like uh, diva-like behavior that shouldn't be tolerated did and has been tolerated for years and shouldn't be tolerated any longer. Did you see the uh, Seth Green story? Oh, I actually read it, but now I might need you to refresh my mind. Like, he was to... on SNL as a kid. I can't. Is yeah, that right? Something like that. I, I'll have to refresh as well. We'll we'll uh, look into all these awful stories because what what people come to this podcast for is us talking about <laughs> current harassment is us allegations, rehashing and... our memories of articles we barely <laughs> read about current events. That's uh, what people come to us for. This one is less serious in a lot of ways, but it really depends on the sort of manner in which it was done. Because uh, anytime you like. Uh, manhandle a minor like in a in an assaulty way that's bad the uh, seth green one is less serious yes yes but seth green is he like, apparently held him over a trash can like uh like bart simpson or something like he was being like handled by nelson Muntz. you messed up your lines this is where the trash goes and i'm like i can see right. that kind of being funny if you like thought of him as like a friendly uncle figure as opposed to the assaulty uncle figure so it's funny if you don't think of children as full human beings that's what i i that's what i think is funny about it is that if you pick up a child like a prop and hold him over a trash yeah, can right when it's, he thinks this might be his big break into an industry he possibly wants to be in yeah there's a it's funny that he like that bill murray was able to craft this sort of um public persona of the sort of lovable scamp he does things differently you call you know a voicemail leave a message he doesn't have an agent he right. might show up he might not he makes public appearances where he just shows up at you know <laughs> at a bar or a bartending or shows up in your wedding photos he has yeah. this like sort of like drifter almost like funny drifter like oh i'm just like going through life man far out yeah. i don't know why i added this hippie element but there is like this sort of like hipsterish like, I'm just, I'm just seeing where life takes me and I'll just be in your wedding photos and I'll be, you know, cool in your, uh, in your bar and I'll start serving drinks and everyone's going to love it. But apparently I think, I mean, I think that is very crafted. Like you said, he crafted yeah. this persona in the, in the public, but on set he is. Well, it, it definitely worked on me because you and I very recently went to go see 
the original Ghostbusters uh, with yes. the, the Nashville Symphony, and um, that was that stuff was had just come out. It was literally the next day. I was like, yeah. "Ooh, hate to sour this experience we literally had under <laughs> twenty four hours ago." Yeah. But here's the Bill Murray news coming out. So it'll be interesting to watch Scrooge, which I have not seen in many years. Um, I liked this movie. It has have it does have a touch of the sort of viscerally creepy, not in a like I'm having nightmares way, but in a way that I'm like mm, Muppets, you know, the kind of like <laughs> because there's some some ghosty scenes. But I generally Muppets. We all know we all have nightmares about Muppets. Everyone's on the same page on that one, right? Just go back and listen to our previous 170 something episodes, and <laughs> you'll understand my pathos a little. So this bit. isn't part of your Christmas uh, celebrations. No, I, I do like leading this question. Um, I, so it, look, the the sentence that I was going to finish before you just kind of like jumped in um, was <laughs> was despite that I, I actually really like this movie and I find it very funny and I'm uh, not not to make this about me the main character of of the world, but uh, I'm a little disappointed that I'm not going to enjoy it as much because I'm going to be looking at because he starts the movie as such a complete asshole that it's going to be like oh that's actually maybe. His real vibe. <laughs> that might be closer to Bill Murray than we care to admit. This is in your your Christmas celebration collection, though. Damon's Anthopolis. Yeah, this Christmas is uh, this is the Xanthopolis uh, Christmas celebration. Is, Damon's Anthopolis is... presents the Damon's Anthopolis Christmas collection from Damon's Anthopolis, sponsored by Taco Bell. Yes, a hallmark um, story. <laughs> Uh, yeah, it, the, I think me and my brother are the true lovers of this movie. My mom tolerates this movie, and my dad typically says something like, "Ah, oh, this." I don't know why I gave him that guttural sound, like "Ah, oh, again with this." Uh, but it's usually like this Bill Murray character over here. He's always playing the same character, says my father, um, and. <laughs> And Your he's father, not wrong. who is a chameleon, because he's always played differently <laughs> by you. <laughs> he's the rich little of our family. Another <laughs> perfectly in the zeitgeist reference that I've made. Um, rich little Ross Perot's running mate, Millard Fillmore. Keep him coming. Come on, kids. Why aren't you listening? <laughs> oh, I can see our, our live streaming numbers just every time we make a dated... Or extremely niche reference, they just go down. Can you go into negative numbers? Because it almost <laughs> seems like we're not even watching ourselves now. This is a movie that we definitely watch every year, or I try to watch every year. Um, it's a movie that me and my brother can speak in quotes from it. My dad really likes Scrooge, the original character, the sure. OG Scrooge, the right. Charles Dickens Scrooge. Um, he will tell you strong feelings about certain versions of Scrooge. Now, I'm trying to remember the, the uh, actor who plays Scrooge, and I can't remember it because it's that's Bill what Murray. my dad... No, no, no. In, <laughs> in his preferred version of A Christmas Carol... He's like, oh, you've got to you've got to watch the Alistair Sim version. That's the one he always says. He's like, you have to watch the Alistair Sim version. That's the perfect version. He will go on at length and then we will watch his version on Christmas Eve and he will quote it at us aggressively. I don't know where I get it, but he will <laughs> look at us and quote it at us. 
But this is me and my brother's equivalent of that. I think it, it works because it does really follow the formula of Scrooge. I think it almost set off a sort of uh, subculture of creating these different, ver these modern versions of Ebenezer Scrooge. I remember there was one with Susan Lucci um, where it was like, ooh, this time Scrooge is a woman. Can, can you, you believe it? Can you imagine? And then there was one with Cicely Tyson, and it was like, this time Scrooge is a woman and a black woman. Can you believe it? And it's like, okay, guys, I feel like we're sort of... We got it. I got it. You know why? What are you bringing to the table? Public domain, that's why. They can, oh, yeah, it's yeah. like, oh, this character can just be... We can do whatever the fuck we want with it? Great. Yeah. I remember there was a version with Jack Palance as a cowboy. Nice. Scrooge. Buckle up for that one. Well, that's why they do that, because like the original story is public domain. The previous film versions are not. That's what they can reference. And so let's not even pretend like I'm copying the Alistair Sim version. That's a good point. Yeah. But so the, if they make it a cowboy thing, they can be like, for sure, this isn't us copyright. Uh, like infringing You can't pin copyright. this on me, copper. If you watch this now, does, does the sort of... How do you take in news like the the bill murray situation like do you does that actually affect your let me just speak for myself before i ask you i it does color the way that i watch something it won't i won't always like refuse to watch something it depends on the uh i don't know it's hard to like judge the severity but like like something as severe as michael jackson right like i have a hard time now listening to Michael Jackson. That's my personal reaction. I'm not saying no one should listen to but him. But do you listen to Michael Jackson occasionally? I mean, not the way that I once did because he's one of my favorite artists and I can say right. he is like, he still is, but musically, but I can't separate it after like experiencing that. Now I don't, um, these aren't as serious of allegations. Um, but it's like, it does, affect how I watch stuff. And again, I, I think there's the whole debate of art versus artists is valid and everybody can kind of have their own take on it. And there's a huge spectrum of the kinds of things that we've been, uh, that have come to light over the past few years, but like, it definitely does affect my watching and it makes me go like, <sighs> mostly I'm, I'm not mad at the victims. I'm mad at the person for perpetrating awful things. Like, no, you're right. They yeah. have ruined, they're the ones that have ruined yeah. it. Like yes. this idea that this, the, the, the person who came forward has ruined it, which I don't think anyone's ever said explicitly, but sometimes there is an undercurrent of like, yeah. ah, you know, you should have just ruined left. all my Kevin Spacey movies yeah. that I wanted to watch. No, you ruined this. Kevin Spacey. <laughs> yeah. Kevin Spacey ruined it. Yeah, I mean, it's hard, especially with actors. Like, it's easier, I mean, I hate to say this, but it is easier with people like Harvey Weinstein, who's never in front of a camera, where it's like, you start watching a movie, and it's like, produced by Weinstein Media, and it's like, ah, fuck. And then the movie starts, and like, all right, back to business, Yeah, where I'm watching a movie. Um, but then it's another thing where you're sitting there watching Annie Hall, and it's like, Woody Allen keeps creeping up, and you're like, fuck. He's in every fucking scene. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, it is tough. And again, I mean, these allegations against Murray, Murray I mean, I don't want to play, you know, it's hard to say. You know, I hate the what, scorecard, what, like what's serious no, I don't want to do that. Yeah, yeah. It's awful. Like it's it's um it, it, it certainly behavior. colors yeah. the the experience of watching these movies. Yeah. I mean, I think that's the simplest thing to say. It, yeah. it does like affect how I watch these things and the closer things get to uh you know the the real life 
the more like the icky. more uncomfortable. It makes. Yeah, right. And so like you know Frank Cross, Bill Murray's character in this is going to be a fucking asshole throughout the 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 first two thirds of the movie. Right. It's going to be uncomfortable to watch, and he asserts his dominance, and I imagine that will be colored by the recent information we've received about Bill Murray. Yeah, it just it does like there's like a feeling of like very minor. I've been you you've taken some joy away from me, Bill Murray. You know what I mean? By being a complete right. asshole. And I like, it's definitely not about me, but I, I live in my own brain and body. So like, I can only react in that situation. Like, and, and I'm, I'm mad at him. Like, you know, I'm mad at the, like, just don't be a fucking supreme asshole. And if he hadn't done it again, and, and a, a, this seems like one of the worst ways he's ever done in his career, like with what happened recently, it it may not have <laughs> uh, a lot of this stuff may not have come out or at least come right. to the fore. I, I don't know. Gina Davis was still going to release her book, so maybe that one would have. <laughs> right, but it may not have gained. I mean, it may have been one of those situations where, well, I don't know. It may yeah. not have gained enough traction where this story of him already sort of being in a, a tumultuous legal situation with the movie he was being in wouldn't have. Uh, brought him a lot of attention stop talking damon damon stop talking. <laughs> well that's the i mean that's the like not to go philosophical about the whole movement but it's like anytime it's like a an isolated incident it's usually not you know what i mean it's usually a recognition of a pattern of behavior and it's whether it's little a abusive or, or big a abusive what, what we're the incident we're talking about it's usually a pattern and the reason that these things tend to gain steam is because other people come forward and be like, yeah, remember that? Remember this? Remember that? And we're all like, oh. right. I think, I mean, the hardest thing is to be the first person to say, hey, yeah. I'm going to stand alone and say that this powerful person did this thing to me or made me feel uncomfortable or made me belittled me in some way. And that's the hardest one. And that's why it always does seem like these floodgates open is because that person did sort of like kick the door open yeah. for other people to finally be like, okay, I don't have to be that person. I can be the person after that person who says, who validates that person's story and says, and here's my story. And then, and that's why it always, that's why it's just human psychology of how yeah. that, how it works that way. Well, and if you don't want more uh, men talking about how, <laughs> how this situation <laughs> Stay tuned because we're going to watch Scrooge and talk mostly about the movie. Uh, so watch along <laughs> with us. We're going to watch Scrooge and we're going to stop uh, waxing philosophical about how brave we are to have not harassed anyone. <laughs> We've done it again by not doing it. You know the main problem with Scrooge as a character? Ebenezer Scrooge, yeah, go ahead. He's a miser. Mm -hmm. He's a skin flint. He's, Different things. Shades of meaning. Go ahead. He's he's uh someone thrifty? he's thrifty. Mm -hmm. He now it feels like I'm uh I'm no. getting into bad territory. But I just wanna say We'll get into it in the main episode, but go ahead. You don't wanna be like Scrooge. Mm-hmm. You wanna, you wanna be generous. Mm -hmm. You wanna say maybe support a small fledgling upstart <laughs> podcast. Yeah, we are the tiny Tim of podcasts. God <laughs> bless us, everyone. I need that surgery or something or, to yeah, get my leg. Pay, pay for Damon's straight. 
he's getting uh his his ears done. Uh, not he not not I, cochlear implants, but like they're, they're going to be slightly moved up on his head because they look weird. Everybody, just no, trusts you're me right. I feel like you know the, where the equator of your head is. Mine are definitely in the tropics. You know yeah, what I mean? Right. Yeah. Yeah. I'm also getting into that area of my 40s where I'm like, are my earlobes getting bigger? Yes, they are. I know they are. For all I know of us. in an, in a, yeah. in a millimeter by millimeter year per yeah. year way they are. But like, am I like, can I see them getting bigger? Oh yeah, if you just and then I try and look at younger pictures of me and like zoom in on the ears. Anyway, you're in a child's an idiot slash. Uh, no wait, patreon.com slash you're in a child's an idiot. It's definitely our URL. Been been our URL for years. Don't be such a Scrooge about it. That was my line. So I we get we're back. By the way, that was my line in uh, in eighth grade when I was in Scrooge. Not. Not a Christmas Carol, not Scrooged, but Scrooge, mm-hmm. with my friends. Uh, shout out to uh, to Rachel Kane, to Tara, to uh, Brad, to Leanne, my friends that I met in that show, community theater. And what and part did you play? Uh, I was the titular. I was Scrooge? street urchin number four, I believe. Ah, uh, was one yes. of four that had a line, and we had each had like a singing line, and mine was "He's a miser." <laughs> And it was res- the response was, he's a skin flint. And I don't remember the rest, but they were all equally delightful descriptors. So <laughs> I'm just saying I'm versed in the source material and not the source material, but like something from the source material. Luckily, I mean, uh, uh, Scrooge and the Christmas Carol IP franchise, you know, mm-hmm. has been bought up in the Disney mergers. Yeah. And so they are making uh, an origin story for Urchin number four. So... You, you may get a call. You may get a call. Not to be in it, but like maybe from Brad Pitt, who's playing Street Urchin number four, who's like, what did you see as this this character's origins? And then mm-hmm. he'll do the opposite. Just really flip it on you. I also have a confession to make. And, uh, you know, I treat this whole podcast like my own personal confessional. Of course. I recently found out, and by recently, I mean within the last 40 years of my life, that a spendthrift mm-hmm. is a person who gives away a lot of money. Mm, mm-hmm. They yeah. spend a lot of money. Yeah. Whereas I always took it as they are, they are thrifty. They are not spending a lot of money. That's. I feel those... like it's taking two things. Yeah. Like if you're thrifty, it means you don't spend money, and then a spendthrift makes it sound like you're not going to spend a lot of money because you're thrifty about your spending. It sounds like just like the extended, like where thrifty comes from. You know right. What I mean? Like omnibus, yeah. we got bus spendthrift. Yeah. We turned it into thrifty. Yeah. But. That's one of those words that I just avoid using because I'm not sure. It's like nonplussed. I don't. Yes. I just stay away from it because I get confused, ironic to a lesser extent. Where I'll <laughs> right. like, don't even I'll, bother. I'll, I'll use After it, that Atlantis debacle of the '90s, yeah. I'm not even gonna bother. I'll, sometimes I'll lay that one out there and then just be like, "Anybody gonna? Are we gonna have a?" About this? <laughs> I used to be a real um, stickler for like uh, grammatical phrases and and like saying things properly, and then a couple things happened. One. I just fucking chilled out. Just got cool. I got cool. <laughs> yeah. Uh, started just not being such a fucking nerd about it. Um, um, I mean, but, I feel personally attacked, but go on. <laughs> no, mainly I learned more about the evolution of, of language uh, and like how, how much has changed over time and how it's basically like, look, if we all agree that something means something, it just means that. You don't really get to be like, well, no, actually... It's this, your way out of it. If enough people use it, I'm sorry, bro. 
Yeah, you're it's, on the losing end. It's just the way it's going to go. And after a while, you won't even notice it anymore. It made me just be like, oh, okay. And then just like listening to history of like different languages and like there are different dialects and stuff and how they've evolved. And you're like, because I used to, you know, we used to make fun of, as Ohioans love to make fun of Kentuckians, even though there's like from a rural Ohio to a rural Kentucky, there's not really. <laughs> yeah, it's like the star belly Nietzsche's thing. It's like, okay, both of you need to just everyone cool relax. <laughs> And it made me uh, realize, like, yeah, let's let's chill about that. I had a similar thing. As a millennial, I, you know, yeah. was very into uh, pointing out when people said literally and uh, yeah. they meant figuratively. Yeah. Until I found out that the earliest known recorded instance of someone saying literally instead of figuratively was in the 1600s. And then I was like, oh, you know what? Maybe I just, just fucking be a mensch about it and not just... <laughs> be persnickety about it. Yeah. Just leave them alone. I know what they mean. They know what they mean. Don't be a fucking dick. <laughs> but it also meant I lost 75% of my personality. So uh, right. I've been just listless ever since. Damon, noted grammar scold. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's going to have to find something else to do. What's that? A preposition at the end of your sentence? You fucking sicken me. So Scrooged. Um, yeah, I forgot. The very first thing I noticed about this movie made me very happy, which is that it's a Danny Elfman joint. He's the score as we like zoom in is the weird choir of children singing this like staccato. I'm already you know, into it. It's perfect because <laughs> there's jingle bells in it because there's sleigh bells in there. Yeah. Like it's already it's Christmassy and it's got the sort of, you know, Nightmare Before Christmas, Halloween Christmas combo thing that is right in that sweet spot for Danny Elfman. And I didn't realize it was Danny Elfman. I just was immediately like, oh, awesome. I love this music. And then <laughs> uh -huh. later found out it was Danny Elfman. So I'm, all, I'm actually, already on board. It's funny you said that because this is the first time and I've watched this movie every Christmas since it's come out that I noticed that the music was done by Danny Elfman. Usually I don't stick around for the credits once uh, the yeah. montage of the various side characters dancing right. is over. Like the end of a Shrek movie, <laughs> this movie ends with various <laughs> characters dancing. But uh, I, I stuck around for some reason, me and Tyler ha still had it on while we were, we just jamming out to Annie Lennox yeah. covering Burt Bacharach. Is it Burt Bacharach? Mm. Who knows? I'm your Who, weather, man. If only oh, there was sorry. some way I could find out. But uh, I was like, oh, Danny Elfman. And then I thought of the... La, 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 I'm like, yeah, that seems right yeah. in his wheelhouse of like something that Tim Burton asked him to write. And he, Tim Burton's like, I can't jam this into Beetlejuice. Can you do something else with it? And he's like, yeah, I got another like Christmas yeah, movie thing. coming out. I'll add some fucking sleigh bells or something. Boingo, boingo it up. <laughs> this, is the this is Richard Donner, right? Directing. It is Richard Donner, yeah. uh, famous, really uh, famously for directing one and a half Superman movies. Right. And like the... And Lethal's Weapon. The first uh, IMDb trivia thing that comes up is... <laughs> oh. Star Bill Murray and director <laughs> Richard Donner had trouble on set and like were... Causing much tension amongst <laughs> like, the rest of the cast. And I was like, God damn it. It's like, it, it's one of those things now that we, you know, more more truth has come out about Bill Murray. It's like one of those things that came out of the Me Too movement too of like, uh, at least for idiot, idiots like me, which is that when you see something it was like, oh, this actress was notoriously difficult and set. It makes you go like... Kind of want to know more context before I yeah. pass judgment on that. It's one of those things that you just sort of glide past in, you know, the 2000s when you're reading the trivia on IMDb. And then now comes like with this whole new weight. 
Yeah. Such as like Harvey Weinstein didn't want Peter Jackson to hire Ashley Judd for this role. So they pushed for uh, Liv Tyler to be cast. And I was like, oh, there's a lot of that sentence is doing right there. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Um, I guess we should recap before. Sorry, I kind of forgot. The oh, recap. yeah. We it's, just sort of dove right in. It's a Christmas carol, but set in uh, uh, a skyscraper in uh, 80s New York. Um, exactly. So done and done. Bill Murray plays Frank Cross. He's a real he's a real dickhole. He's mm-hmm. a real. He's so much of a dick. He has a very specific part of the dick that he is. <laughs> he's a real bastard. And he he's. Firing people, he's making people work on Christmas Eve. He's scorning his his former love, the the true love of his life. He's being kind of nice to her, and then a dick again. But guess what? He mm-hmm. is visited by actually four ghosts. But the first ghost tells him he's going to be visited by three ghosts. Yeah. Somehow so, he never. I mean, that always bothered me about the first one. I was like, why doesn't Jacob Marley get rounded up into the ghosts? Yeah. I know the, the famous line is you are to be visited by three ghosts, but right. you are also legally, I have to also mention, you are currently in the midst of being visited by a fourth <laughs> pre-ghost that you will, that announces the other ghosts. He's a mini boss. He's like a, the, 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 the yellow guy with the one eye and Mega Man. So, oh, and he's sliding from side to side. Go ahead. You're not going to get any powers from him if you defeat him, but he, he's going to be annoying for a while. You're um, going to get a heart container, but you have to beat him to get to the rest of the dungeon. Uh, the three ghosts uh, show Frank the error of his ways. Now, what are he, there? Are there? Do the ghosts have a separate, uh, uh, you know, chronological realms they uh, show him? Um, you know, I don't remember. Yeah. So there's the, the ghost of Christmas past. Which mm-hmm. is played by the guy from the New York Dolls. What's his uh, name? What's his name? Uh, David Johansson, but... Uh, David Johansson. What was his? Um, Buster Poindexter. Yes. Right? Yeah. Or Bust... I'm oh. feeling hot, hot, hot. You might remember him from the hit song or the Toyota commercials from which that song was overused. Good for you. Um, <laughs> Thank you. We got Thank the, you. I really needed that, honestly. <laughs> Ghost of Christmas present played by... Carol Kane, um, but voiced by uh, the My Little Pony. No, no. Uh, Carol Kane, she plays like a fairy godmother kind of vibe, and I can't understand yeah. a fucking word she says the whole movie. <laughs> and then uh, Ghost of Christmas Future, which is the the scary death character with a TV screen for a face. But don't worry, Frank Cross, after going through this trials and tribulations, he, he sees the error of his ways. He kind of manically becomes... <laughs> a good person overnight and mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. seems like the emotions of a cocaine addict, but yeah, he goes on TV and starts screaming about the joys of Christmas. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and we all live happily ever after. I kind of forgot who all, all, all the folks that are in this. Cause we got Bobcat Goldthwaite. Yes. We got Alfred Woodard. Yeah. Um, we got all the Murray brothers. Uh, collect them all. Yeah. You got Brian Doyle. Joel, nameless Murray, the third na- nameless Murray, Schmitty, Schmitty Murray, mm-hmm. um, cameos from Miles Davis, Paul Schaefer, Larry Carlton, and David Sanborn, and as the like a, street, I know. a band of street musicians. As a kid, I didn't recognize any of them, and then as a tween, I was like, "Hey, it's that guy from David Letterman." Why isn't yeah. anyone paying attention to the fact that the guy from David Letterman? And then as I got older, like I slowly, I was like, "Why is everyone just pretending it's normal that Miles Davis is on the street playing like a starving musician? Why is that happening?" <laughs> also, like I am a huge Larry Carlton fan. I don't think I. I've ever seen his face before. So I, I definitely <laughs> missed that reference. 
It's I think just he's one like of the best guitar players of all time. And where, like, where they just have random celebrities and things because yeah. they had a favor owed to the they they owed Warren Beatty a favor. So they were like, yeah, I'll be in your Dick Tracy movie. Who gives a shit? I'll be Kathy Bates. I'll have no lines. I'll be typing <laughs> on a typewriter. Who cares? In her defense, she's like, I'm not Kathy Bates yet. I'm still Katie Bates. I haven't figured, <laughs> I haven't all figured out. out the H thing yet. Uh, David Sanborn, uh, you may know him from his song Bang Bang, which is a hit probably around the same time as Feeling Hot, Hot, Hot. <laughs> um, Wonderful. Can you sing me a few bars um, legally of Bang Bang? Bang Bang. It was like one of those things that uh, it was like had a melody and then the chorus is just like Bang Bang and that's it. And then the little mm. Have you not, do you know, know that song? Well, you started singing, then you quickly started no, talking it. over your own. That's <laughs> it. That's, I sang the whole thing. Um, Karen Allen, <sighs> speaking of... Uh, Karen uh, Allen, Marion Ravenwood. The cast. Um, speaking of the cast. Mary Lou Redden. <laughs> Myster- well, <laughs> also, I mean, you've got Buddy Hackett, Jamie Farr uh, yeah. are in the, the, uh, the show within the show. You have yeah. Robert Goulet in a weird cameo at the beginning. Lee majors, mm-hmm. uh, one of me and my brother's favorite things to scream in the rare occurrences when Lee majors might <laughs> come up in conversation. <laughs> you also have Socrates from Bill and Ted's excellent adventure. Oh yeah. He plays the, one of the, the servers, waiter. right? Half, yeah. half, uh, you have Robert Mitchum. You have John Glover. John Glover. Uh, we we may, remember him may... from gremlins, gremlins too. too. As our Daniel Clamp, our Donald Trump surrogate. Openly gay. Props to him. Oh. He also played Lex Luthor's father in Smallville, so that's something. Oh. Did you notice? This is only something that I noticed on this watch through. It's not important. It's not a criticism of either the the, the <laughs> movie I... or either individual, but John Glover and Bill Murray have the similar teeth. They have interesting like crooked bottom teeth. They've got teeth. like a, the bottom teeth are kind of wackadoo. Yeah. Little craggly. While we're talking about the cast, I just want to generally hold on. I'm sorry. Wendy Malik is also in this. Everyone's favorite uh, cast member from Just Shoot Me and Hot in Cleveland. Yes, yes. I actually <laughs> and do Regina like King's sister is in this as uh, cool. Alfrey Woodard's oldest daughter. I was like, she kind of sounds like Regina King when she was talking. I was like, she kind of vaguely looks like Regina King, and she sounds very much like Regina King. And when I looked it up. He was who's the Rayana other, who's the, other uh, the business lady that he kind of uh, flirts with? That is Robert Zemeckis' Zemeckis's ex-wife. Trainer is her last name. I can't. Yeah. Megan Trainer. No, Mary F- uh, Mary Helen Trainer. Okay, she's appeared in a lot of things. She's popped up in Death Becomes Her when we watched it. Yeah, but, uh, she's I think a mom. What is, she's in, in the Goonies. Yeah, she's the mom, she the mom in, in the Goonies. Goonies. That's where I recognize her from mostly. Yeah, but she's in a lot of these movies in the eighties and nineties. A lot, a lot going on. In this movie, cast wise, um, stacked. I mean, especially if you're someone like me who memorizes character actors and actresses' yeah, names. Yeah, I'm like, wow, this this is stacked, guys. This is an all star cast. <laughs> we're not, we're not quite. Wendy to, Malik. Wow. <laughs> we're not quite to the rock level of that guyisms <laughs> in this, but we're we're up there. I just want to talk about Bobcat Goldthwait in general because I think this is our first as a podcast, our first encounter with him, despite yes, this is my being first a podcast that talks about the Bobcat in the wild. Yeah. And he's playing against type as well. Sort of against type, at least initially, yeah. at least initially yeah. he's playing against yeah. type. I had to sort of, I don't, I don't know that she had never seen before, but Lauren was like, who is that? <laughs> uh, and it's like, it's, it's weird to, at first you're like, I can't believe 
you don't just immediately know who that is. And then you're, it's one of those things that is like, you know, a, a talent like Bobcat Goldthwait burns bright <laughs> and then fades. No, I don't have a, a problem with it, but it's a very unique, new, uniquely 80s, early 90s thing of his fame, of his like, how famous he became. Yeah, when he was in front. I mean, he's since moved on to like being like a director now. Yeah. And yeah. fairly successful. I mean, I think he does a lot of TV shows and things. He's doing his shtick. Yeah. While also playing a character that is repressing that layer. shtick. Mm-hmm. He's Magic. fucking Meryl Streep. <laughs> I don't like, I, it's not even that like he's, he's bad or anything. It's just kind of like a weird, just the, the, the amount and the level of movie that he was in is weird when you think about it. <laughs> no, it's absolutely ludicrous. <laughs> it's, I mean, it's like Macaulay Culkin yeah. or something like that, where it's like, yes, it just like flares and then, and then you have to explain to your nieces and nephews or children, I guess other people have, um, what is this person and why am I expected to know who they are? Why are they an answer in a crossword puzzle? What the hell are you talking about? I missed this when we were naming cast members, but Mimi from the Drew Carey show is the nurse. Oh, yeah. What is her name? I can't remember. Kathy Kenny. She pops up. And I mean, I think I when I was doing probably my 1995 rewatch of Scrooge in the holiday season, I was like, <laughs> hey, I know that lady. There she is. Oh, don't forget. Anne Ramsey is in this from uh, the Goonies as well. Oh, that's right. Yeah. And her husband, who plays one of the other guys experiencing homelessness. There's a there's a lot of quotes. I don't want to just get into quotes yet. I mean, uh, I I I am trying to hold my back myself. I just want to say, if I name a quote, I, this is just going to be a blanket statement. This is a quote that me and my brother would say to each other constantly. And if I got him on the phone right now, he would know exactly what I'm talking about and would laugh hysterically. Yeah. So that's the language we're dealing with here. <laughs> is that that is why these quotes are quotes for me? And yeah. I mean, like we talked about with Clue, I feel like there's three levels of quotes. Like there's the just funny to anyone. There's funny if you know the context. And then there's oh, this guy kind of said this word weird, so yeah. I think that's funny now. Yeah. D Bill Murray yells every single line in this movie. <laughs> yes. I'm I'm a generally a fan of random yelling from an actor <laughs> certainly uh bill murray uh certainly a comedy it's a staple it makes me laugh is random yeah. yelling but this this started to be a little bit like lauren pointed out she's like why is he yelling every and i was like hey, <laughs> once you point it out you can't <laughs> stop and then I, I was reading a little bit later about uh like bill murray i think hates this movie he's like talking about how the script was trash and it like got a little better only because he saved it. And in his genius, he, he saved the movie. And then he's like, he can, Richard Donner kept saying louder. louder. <laughs> and by the end, I'm screaming everything. And I'm kind of like, I kind of see his point at this, at this point. <laughs> um, uh, yeah. I mean, this is a very interesting movie in that. I think it's like, he's basically carrying the entire movie. It's all. Uh, him, yeah. Especially comedy wise, like everyone else around him, not that they don't have funny parts, but like he is the comic actor. And then everyone around him, maybe with the exception of the ghost, certainly, um, yeah. is just sort of playing off his mugging. Um, right. especially upon this, like more critical rewatch. I think one of the maybe flaws of this movie is that it borders on like a problem this isn't necessarily a problem with Curb Your Enthusiasm, but he borders on the issue of like making pre-Ghost Scrooge curmudgeonly, like likable in a curmudgeon way. Right. 
where right. I'm like, kind of like, yeah, this is kind of fun to watch. It's just like it's fun to watch Larry David, like yell at idiots in Los Angeles on Curb Your Enthusiasm. <laughs> it's kind of fun to watch him yell at, because he's surrounded by idiots. Aside from his assistant, like he's not surrounded by good hearted people. He's surrounded by TV executives right. and people who the movie portrays as morons, such as the guys who can, you can hardly see them nipples. Like right. he's surrounded by idiots. And the movie definitely seems to sometimes take his side on these people. And I think it risks making his pre-conversion self a little bit too, like, charming in a crankshaft type way. I mean, maybe a little. I mean, he's definitely a bad person. Uh, right. Like, no, he is. Yeah. But he's also a funny bad person. So there's part right. of me that's like, no, keep, keep me funny. It's fine. Yeah. Tell that person to staple antlers to that mouse's head. He's going through what Christmas gifts to get everyone. He's just like, towel, towel, towel. Uh, he does yell a lot. Uh, and I also, I mean, I think this, <laughs> I, as we've already referenced Harvey Weinstein, let's just, you know, in for a penny, out for a pound. Uh, it's not comfortable to watch, you know, like a TV executive who like creates a very toxic environment. Yeah. Um, it, it reads a little bit differently um, in this movie than yeah, it may I, have in 1988. <laughs> Yeah, and, and his relationship with Karen Allen, too, where it's like, you should not be with this man. He is a bad person. Yeah, um, don't go in, back to him either. He's already yeah. yelled at you in the two-day span that this movie takes place yeah. in. Yeah, although I was on his side a little bit in the, like, the kind of the breaking point for them is that on the flashback when the Ghost Christmas Past takes him, he's, like, playing a, a dog in a mascot kind of costume for, like, a children's show, and then, like, the big boss of the network who it's the... Uh, the pre-ghost, right? John um, Forsyth. Another name we have forgotten to mention, John yeah. Forsyth of Charlie's Angels and uh, Dynasty fame. He inv invites him, to we're going to dinner tonight. And, you know, this is a big dinner with boss position and, or uh, situation. And, yeah. uh, you know, Karen's like, no, we're having, we're having dinner with so-and-so. Uh, we gotta, we gotta go. And he's, it, it, he didn't handle it well. And they basically break up, but also like, I feel like there was a way to just, to still go to that. <laughs> Uh -huh. And then go to the other party a little bit later, right? I mean, or at least talk about it, you know, because uh, this probably was a big opportunity for him. I feel like if if Lauren's boss, you know mm -hmm. what I mean, like was like, hey, there's this important dinner got to go to and we have a On Christmas thing. Eve? Well, I feel like I the mean, movie doesn't make a good good enough clarity about the fact that all these memories are like in the original Christmas Carol. They are all happening on Christmas or Christmas Eve in this case. And so he is being invited to a dinner with his boss on Christmas Eve. And they've already planned like their holiday plans with their best friends. It's already Christmas Eve. So he's already working on that day. True. You know, so. So fuck his know. friends. Don't. I feel like. Don't fuck your friends. Or fuck your friends, actually. I don't know. I've, I've worked in the. Uh music industry too long where everybody just takes like a month and a half off during <laughs> <laughs> right i'm not saying he was in the right or anything he's clearly an asshole but that was the one time where i'm like i don't know i feel like maybe we could talk about this i think it was bit. a weird breaking point i think for the it movie was. i think the movie doesn't necessarily do a good job of i think it shows them like meeting it shows him and karen allen in the christmas past section meeting yeah. and then them you know having a good relationship having that cute you know christmas uh christmas eve together and then i think the next memory right is the breakup yeah. 
unless yeah. I'm forgetting something. Which so is so. I wish we could see maybe their their relationship declining a little bit because like one, it does one transition feel like, scene, yeah, where, yeah. where it's like because it's clearly not the first time he's done something like this. Because otherwise, it wouldn't be such a breaking point for her. I don't think. Right, but, but yeah, they don't they don't do a great job. Of I think they do a good. I think the actors do a good job of conveying what's going on. But I feel like yeah. the script could have given you a little bit more of that transition to uh, him. Um, although, I mean, he it is weird that she is. I think I picked up on this a lot more this time is that she is telling him like we should separate and he's acting like she's saying, you know, can you pick up milk on the way home? Like it's very, it's a very awkward conversation. Yeah. Um, the way he's reacting to it. I also like appreciate uh, IBC in that you can rise from the ranks from mailroom to man in dog costume to president of yeah. programming um, within a, you know, a 10 year span from what I can gather. When it's like, what an insane boss that he like sees him do a good job as the dog and is like i like the cut of your jibs like I that's guess a very be my my mentor mentee now there i think there that we you know grew up in an era where you know executives just moved from like you know different companies to different companies like there was an executive class and not that there wasn't that but i think there was a little bit more of a transitionary period where you could right. like move up the ranks of a company and now it's just, you know, well, this guy was the CEO of this company, so now he's going to be our CEO, and we have to pay him, you know, $10 million and a $60 million golden parachute when he leaves, when he tanks this entire stock. So them's the breaks. That's how you do it. That's um, capitalism, baby. Or maybe I'm just regurgitating the tricks that capitalism has played upon my little, you know, soft brain when I was growing up that, you know, I could just work in the mailroom and become a, a dog mascot and then become president of the company. <laughs> Everyone's dream. Uh, <laughs> I sweat too much to be in a dog costume. Like even Bill Murray is sweating in there. I would drown in my own sweat. <laughs> well, I guess let's go through the ghosts, right? We kind of talked about, uh, you know, seeing a history of his relationship with Claire. Right. Um, do you want to talk about the ghost himself, about David Johansson's David Johansson, uh, he is, uh, he's very enjoyable. Um, I think he does a good job. He plays like sort of the, he, he's in a cabbie. He's a cabbie in this, in this yeah. version. When Bill Murray is sort of like made uncomfortable at a dinner, he leaves to go get a cab and he hops into this cab and he left a dinner thinking he was already being harassed by the ghost. And he's correct in a way, but he thinks the people around him are the ghost. And so he gets right. into this cab trying to get away. And that's when, uh, he realizes, oh no, the cabbie is the ghost. And one of my favorite visual gags in this movie is that his taxi license literally says the ghost of Christmas past, which never fails to make me laugh because it's ludicrous. Yes. Uh, I, I feel like, I feel like one of the things about this movie that I really enjoy is that there is a horror element to it. It actually yeah. has, I mean, it's not scary, scary, but, yeah. uh, it does do a lot of these prosthetics and effects that are, you know, very horror reminiscent. And in this one, in this scene, right before the Ghost of Christmas Past, he orders a highball from the bar um, when he's having lunch with, uh, I don't know what, I guess Robert Mitchum's character would be the CEO of the company. Like he's above, like he's above Frank Cross. Chairman of the board or something. Maybe. Yeah. He goes to lunch with Frank because he's concerned about this live, you know, production of A Christmas Carol they're doing on Christmas Eve night. And you get the impression that he's, he also brings John Glover in, who we find out is like a childhood, a friend of Robert Mitchum's son. And I feel like the movie doesn't do a great job of explaining to us non-Hollywood types that this is a sign that John Glover is going to be like swooping in on his job. Right, right. Um, 
And while he's there, he remembers that he has been uh, foretold by a unnumbered ghost that he will be visited by three ghosts. The first one will be tomorrow at noon. And so he starts getting all these spooky things happening where he gets a glass and his highball glass has an actual eyeball in it. Fun. Ghosts can be fun. It's a rhyming Um, drink situation. He starts like he starts hallucinating. Uh, He sees John Glover talking, repeating things he had already said and then. Uh, it's very weird. And then he sees a man, uh, one of the waiters on fire. Yeah. Um, he hallucinates that. And then he's like, I just got to get out of here. And he leaves. So I think it's like the ghosts, like making him uncomfortable. So he'll leave this other place so that he can get him by himself. Get in the car. The ghost Christmas pass takes him back to see oh, Brian Doyle Murray as his father, which was a little weird when you think about it too much. Um, <laughs> and he gets like a, what a cut of, what is it like a, uh, five pounds of milk-fed veal. That's right, for Christmas. Because his father is a butcher, so that's what he gets his son for Christmas. Yeah. Also, I like Bill Murray when he's defending. He starts crying because he sees, of course, his deceased mother. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, goes to Christmas past, hands him a handkerchief. Actually, I think legally I can call something that's red with white polka dots a hanky, correct? Like, that's when it crosses over from handkerchief <laughs> to hanky. Um yeah, that that I for some reason I get really affected by that scene with the the yeah. parents. Yeah, his mother's clearly like very very loving, like actually loves him as dad's right, of, and he has a good dad. relationship yeah. with her and his dad's yeah. an asshole. Obviously, he also watches a lot of TV. There there is a weird element of this movie. I, maybe not a weird element, but it feels very kind of scolding for how much TV a child should watch. Yeah. Um, and there seems to be an undercurrent in this, in this, especially in this early scene, that he watched too much TV as a kid and didn't have a good life. And that's why um, he's an asshole. And that's why he's an asshole, obviously. But it also, I, I think, I don't think it draws the line concretely, but I suspect that's why he could, you know, become the president of, uh, the youngest mm. president of IBC, is that he just knows how television works and how to manipulate people with television. Mm. Um it's a great scene, though, and for some reason, like, it, may, you know me, I have cried, as we've referenced many times, I've cried at a cat litter commercial that had a, <laughs> a father-son cat in the commercial. Let's not unpack it. Let's not worry about it. Um, but he, you know, uh, David Johansson says, I always think he's saying Attila the Hun, but he says it in such a weird way. He says, uh, Bill Murray says something like, I know what you're trying to do. I'm supposed to see my parents and, you know, just start crying. And David Johansson says, that's what they all say. But when Attila the Hun saw his mother, Niagara Falls. I think yeah. he's saying Attila the Hun, but yeah. I can't I can't necessarily decipher it. I do like, um, I didn't catch that, but I do like the idea of uh, Attila the Hun getting his own <laughs> three ghosts. Right, exactly. Situation. I do like the idea that this has happened multiple times in history. Yeah. Um, that they pick out one guy that needs to learn the true meaning of Christmas. And, uh, of course, Bill Murray sees his mother and is immediately, like, heartbroken and, like, starts crying. One of the first things, this is probably the first time I've noticed this, is that when his father comes home, his father is smoking, because it's 1955, and everyone was legally obligated to smoke. When his father comes in, he's smoking, and, you know, there's a trail of smoke behind him. And Bill Murray purposefully leans into the cigarette smoke to smell it. Mm. I was like, yeah, even if my dad was a true asshole like his dad is, I would probably want to smell his cigarette smoke again. Yeah. We also go to the like the office Christmas party, which is like when he's working in the mailroom. And yeah. this party, I know it's like red flags <laughs> everywhere. Just just a lawsuit waiting to happen. Yeah. Like there's lots of uh, canoodling 
There's uh, one of the uh, female workers is copying her ass and giving copies to everyone. I meant to look up that actress's name because I think she was on Perfect Strangers. Rebecca Arthur is the the actress's name. Yes. She was kind of a ditzy role in Perfect Strangers, if I remember. And we get Carol Kane as the Ghost of Christmas present. And she's a like a fairy princess who just constantly beats the shit out of Bill Murray. And I, Carol Kane already uh, speaks with, uh, uh, in a way that's hard to hear. And she's like doing this high lilting voice the whole time. I cannot understand a fucking word she says. She doesn't, movie. she almost does like a crang voice actually. Cause she does this high lilting like sing song voice to add the goblin voice. You know, sometimes it is, her line reading is like, troublesome because it is hard to understand what she's saying and only over like dozens of viewings have i pieced together what she is saying oh look there's mr hedgehog where is he off to perhaps to harlem um but she says it like oh there's mr hedgehog where is he going perhaps to harlem as she punches a man so it's it's hard to understand what she's saying I think I, I just loved her like the minute I saw her because I, you know, man slips on banana peel is funny, but man in a suit slips on a banana peel. That's hilarious. You know, watching her hit a guy, especially in this very slapstick way, they add like these, you know, cartoon sound effects to him getting hit like honks and, you yeah. know, splats and things uh, that made my little, you know, child brain laugh. Uh, but I didn't understand what she was saying necessarily. Uh, only slowly pieced together. Matter. She says, yeah. I like the rough stuff <laughs> at right. one point. Um, but I loved her in this role. And I immediately, like, this was the role that made me learn her name so that I could identify her in all these other roles that I saw. So when I see Annie Hall for the first time, I go, Carol Kane. Uh, when I see Adam's Family Values, I go, Carol Kane took over from Judith Molina from the first movie. No, yeah, I, I, I see what you're saying. Um, I still have a lot of affection for her, but I definitely understand what you're saying. Yeah, the Ghost of Christmas Future is a big, scary uh, death, and his face is like a video screen, so it like, turns into a skeleton. I thought the way they rendered this this ghost was awesome. Like when he first shows up, so uh, Frank had already been scared by someone in an actual the guy was playing uh, Ghost Christmas Future for the actual yeah. production they're putting on. Yeah. So I thought that was a cool misdirect. And then so he's in his office just kind of being psychotic, like getting drunk, to his, just getting completely wasted, talking to his his whiskey glass. <laughs> um, it like death comes across like the the monitors, like across all of the monitors that are. Yeah, he's got the, the live production playing, but slowly like death takes over yeah. or not death, but the Ghost of Christmas Future takes over the entire screen. And then when we see him, actually, he's in the elevator. His like, his face is like, when it's got death on it, it's a TV screen with death with like a, a skull on it. Which mm-hmm. is, I thought that was really cool. And then Bill Murray says uh, he hears something rustling from under his robes, and he looks, and yeah. it's his rib cage, and there's all these creatures screaming Just from like little, within yeah. it. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> it didn't scare me as a kid, but I was just like, why is. <laughs> Isn't yeah. so scary. And Bill Murray has the correct response, which is, did our people do that? We're yeah. going to get phone calls. Because <laughs> he still thinks it's the guy from the, the studio. I always like, I will say in any production of Christmas Carol, I am 
always waiting for the Ghost of Christmas Future to show yeah. up. Because it's usually whenever they're making that production, it's usually when they, you can you can feel the director's like, this is when I get to have some fun. This is when I get right. to like do yeah. something stylized. And that's no exception here. Every, they have sort of, I think it's three scenes um, in the future. And they're highly like, they're arch, yeah. very stylized. It's like Beetlejuice-y. Um, yeah, it's very like Bo Welch, Beetlejuicy, yeah. um, Tim Burton-y. The first one is, you know, we catch up with uh, Alfre Woodard's character, Grace, and her son, uh, who we haven't even talked about, Galvin, who is our essentially our Tiny Tim yes. in this, yeah. this version, um, who has been mute, who has... Uh, he saw his father die. He saw his father killed. Yeah. We find out from Carol Kane, if he had the closed captionings on. Um, <laughs> Maybe that's why I didn't catch that. <laughs> um, she saw his father killed five years ago, and ever since then he's been mute. Um, there's nothing physically wrong with him, just psychological trauma, obviously. Yeah. We didn't have the words in 1989 to identify it. But uh, in the future scene, you know, we see a teenage Calvin in a asylum. And then we see Karen Allen's Claire, who has decided to take Frank's advice to scrape off all the homeless people she helps. And apparently that immediately made her a wealthy woman. <laughs> apparently that was the only thing holding Morticia her back Adams from... Too. Yeah, she has like these very... Uh, very stylized lipstick, like very pointy lips yeah. and uh, caked on like white makeup. And the, the surroundings in her, her scene are so like bleached white that you yeah. can barely see what's going on. Um, and we see her rejecting some homeless kids that are asking for, for some money. And then the last scene is, and this one's also really fucked up, is uh, Frank sees his own cremation. He yeah. sees his coffin going into the flames, and then he um, suddenly is inside the coffin catching on fire. And it's like, Jesus Christ, no, th I didn't know this was a thing for me, but I don't yeah. like this. Yeah. In a box yeah. and on fire? Fuck off. We should also mention while we're talking about the ghosts, uh, the Jacob Marley equivalent in this, which is John Forsyth's... Um, Lou Hayward, which is also, I mean, I want to say, especially for him, like the prosthetics in this movie are still really hold up. Like he yeah. is gross when it's he gross. arrives. He's still, apparently he had a heart attack on a golf course five years before the movie and he's still in his golf clothes. His skin is like flaying off like in a papery way. He's gray. Yeah. Um, and uh, that whole the scene where he's like holding Frank out of the window and, uh, and like, through the window and then like he like rips. His, uh, uh, I still. Uh, yeah, he like uh, pushes him through the glass like there's like a, you know, the abyss like type moment where he like yeah. through the glass and then he tears at John Forsyth's arm and it comes off and it's a little too meaty for me. It's a little too like, no, that's probably what tearing at an old mummy's arm would be like. Oh, <laughs> Um, there's also that scene where the mouse pushes the golf ball out of his skull. Oh, uh, yeah. Oh, it's a little, oh, God. It's so visceral. It's very, um, yeah. But it's really well, like, the, the, the prosthetics really hold up. There's not a part where I'm, I'm like, maybe the pink of John Forsyth's mouth inside, but, like, that's all I could criticize. Like, it's, it's really great. Yeah, and I'm, I'm sure some that. biologist would be like, five years, he'd be much more decomposed than that. I'm like, fuck off. When he takes off his sunglasses and his his eyes aren't there, and it's just like yeah. this... Uh, it's, uh, <laughs> um, it's great. Yeah, the, and it, moving back to the 
Ghost of the uh, Christmas Future. He's when he like, I think when he's like walking or I don't know which moment it is, but we hear uh, Santa Claus is coming to town, but a minor key. I really like that. Oh yeah, I think maybe is that when it, when he like gets out of the the scene with because um, no, Bobcat Goldthwait also sings. Oh yeah, you better not. And there maybe is like a minor key like under yeah. it, and I'm like, ooh, is this yeah. where all the trailers from today got the idea of get someone to sing a happy song in a minor key for any? movie no matter yeah. what the content is yeah yeah that is good let's talk about that because that so there's a really thing that does not uh is not great which is, this is that, not good uh, this is not this is not age well at all yeah bobcat's character elliot elliot Loudermilk has been he got Code let nine. go just on a whim by frank on christmas eve and of course he's he's fallen on hard times he's destitute his wife's left him took took their kid and he becomes uh which is like Seems like it's there been might have been cracks in there. Twelve flesh. hours, and you're already a drunk homeless man. But you are a TV at, executive. You what did what, you didn't save any money? Like, what were you doing? You were living day to day on TV executive money. Just like give it the holiday season and put your resume out there, bro. You, you were pretty high up. Put your feet up and just yeah. hang out for a minute. Collect your severance, which you probably had. <laughs> His um, wife leaves him immediately, which already means like, I mean, you probably already had problems if she was leaving yeah, immediately. Yeah. Um, and obviously he is pretty quick to grab a shotgun <laughs> and come up to mm-hmm. uh, his former employer and uh, hold him at gunpoint and shoot at him. He doesn't just threaten him. He shoots at him. But then part of when Frank does have his change of heart, he like uses Elliot to take over the control room. Um, so that he can give his manic, uh, his manic happy, Christmas speech. Yeah. Our happy ending involves Elliot holding the entire control room at gunpoint. Yeah. And then, it's very uh, uncomfortable. In yeah. There's a weird scene where Bill Murray is like already in the midst of this like pro Christmas rant. And uh, he says, hey, I don't hear any partying in that booth, Elliot. And Elliot using the shotgun um, yeah. shoots out. Uh, one of the windows in the, the control On booth accident, but still, and yeah. Uh, says, yeah, you heard him. And yeah. then this woman, you can see a woman who's like dancing while crying. Now, don't get me wrong. It really makes me laugh to watch someone who is <laughs> crying while dancing because she's actively trying to party because that's yeah. what she's been told to do. So she's dancing while crying. But then you think about the trauma involved in being held at gunpoint um, while you're trying to just do your job. Yeah. It's, and it's that really... person will soon uh, be reinstated in his position as a TV yeah, I don't think you should fire him back. He tried to shoot everyone. And <laughs> It does remind me, just to bring it back up, uh, to Happy Place. Her dancing does remind me of Tina Fey dancing without breaking eye contact. <laughs> oh, I do love when she dances for that flu medicine. Um, yeah, that was really fucked up. And also, so that's really messed up. And then Frank's whole unhinged <laughs> speech, like... This, I was going to ask because I, I, I wrote in my notes that I was curious what your thoughts would be on this speech because I uh, I might be too close to this movie to actually truly judge it because I don't know if it works or if it's just completely this weird like appendix at the end of this movie. So if you 
if you know someone who has uh, manic episodes, right? Like it's, <laughs> it's part of you is like, I'm glad you're not feeling sad, but also part of you're like, this doesn't feel right. Mm-hmm. There's like something's not okay right now. That's what this feels like. It feels right. like, um, like a, a manic episode for lack of a better term. And it's kind of like everyone around him is just kind of like, you know, and now that's the movie, right? We're, we're, we're in the, the denouement of the Scrooge story. We're supposed right. to be like, Oh, okay. But it, it, the whole thing made me be like, I don't know, man, are you, are you okay? Clearly you've been through a lot. You've been held at gunpoint. We're still holding people at gunpoint <laughs> during this happy ending. Um, I guess it's just like, maybe of just like, Someone's been actually restrained. I forgot completely that John Glover's character is like literally tied up and gagged. And a clearly concussed uh, censor is sexually assaulting him. (laughs) She needs to go to a doctor. (laughs) Right. Um, (laughs) And then also he's like getting back, you know, at the end he's going to get back with Claire, but he like full on makes out with the rocket or whatever, the solid gold dancer that's on the show because she's under a mistletoe. And he says to her, he like, she's into it. I don't know why she's so into it, but she's into it. She is into it. And then he's like, you know, that was great. And he's like, but it wasn't that great. And I was like, Jesus, man, (laughs) like, I know what we're doing here, but now you're just going to hurt her feelings for no reason. She's a solid gold dancer. She doesn't know her show's been canceled yet. She's going to be fine. I'm not saying she can't, she won't have like other opportunities, but, um, other opportunities to make out with pockmarked balding men. <laughs> Look, if you could make out with Bill Murray, if you were given the chance pre the most recent uh, news, would you have done it? What? Uh, d- like now Bill Murray? Cause even now he looks like if Scrooge Bill Murray had been dredged from a river, you like, you know, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like he yeah, doesn't look, yeah. he doesn't look his best. Like Let's even say- when we were watching Ghostbusters afterlife, I'm like, are they all ghosts or is it just Harold Ramis? <laughs> Let's say 1988, Bill Murray. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Okay. If Sigourney, where Sigourney Weaver goes, there go I. <laughs> and you know what my favorite part about this ending? <laughs> go on. Mary, Mary Lou Redden still hanging in there. <laughs> I did like the one he's making out with that solid gold dancer, like Jamie Farr from the TV show MASH is just in the background, just looking on. And then, yeah, we cut to Mary Lorette and she's just happy to be there. Yeah. I do love, I mean, I mean, it is a running joke in this and I think I didn't appreciate it as a kid, but it is such a stupid stunt casting Mary yeah. Lorette and this tiny Tim. And so... This Just kid so with a bad leg suddenly can do a flip. <laughs> she doesn't just throw off the crutches and walk. She throws off the crutches, does a triple somersault back into one of these things. One of these Killer. things. <laughs> yeah. Do you want to do a, a quote roundup? Uh, can I talk about my big things before, or do you want to save those for sure. after the quote roundup? Chef's choice. Let's do the big things. Then we'll do a quote. roundup. Okay. I don't have that many big things, uh, yeah. but it's <laughs> already, already backtracking. One of the things I like about this as an update, because I think this actually plays fairly close. Uh, it's funny that we're watching this just after Clueless, but I feel like this is 
plays fairly close despite completely transposing the story into a different time and place. Mm -hmm. Um, It's pretty close to the story of Scrooge. There's even like weird call outs. Like I know in Christmas Carol, Scrooge like blames something he ate for, you know, him hallucinating Jacob Marley. And in this one, he blames Russian vodka poisoned by Chernobyl for why he was seeing his old (laughs) mentor um, in his office. But uh, one of the interesting updates that they chose to do is like in the original, Scrooge is very uh, loud and proud of his hatred of Christmas and his fellow man. Um, And in this one, it's interesting that he outwardly, there's even a character, his brother asks him if he loves Christmas. And he says, oh yeah, I love Christmas. I'm the biggest fan that Christmas ever had. All these idiots are going to be at home watching the boob tube tonight. Ad revenues go up by like 35%. Um, He outwardly claims to love Christmas. Um, And I feel like that's a really smart update for 1980s, like Reaganism, consumer culture, Mm -hmm. Christmas. This idea of like the true meaning of Christmas isn't buying a lot of shit or or something like that, or just, you know, making like a big production of it. The true meaning of Christmas is like loving your, your fellow humans and giving mm. to them. Like it even shows in the, the, in the intro or in the first part of the movie, him receiving a humanitarian award, um, that he does not give a shit about. He leaves it in a cab later, but it, it gives you an idea like this guy must like do something for his fellow man, but it's all for, whatever he needs to climb this, this corporate ladder. It's all like a transaction to him. So I thought that was a very interesting update for this, this movie to, to move it into Reagan's America. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, it's all centered around him, like producing a television version of a Christmas Carol, which is being filmed on Christmas Eve, like that's the crux of this movie is that he is making everyone work on Christmas to show how Christmassy IBC is. And it reminds right. me of like, you know, retail stores saying, oh, because we love Christmas so much, we're making all our employees work on Thanksgiving. We're staying open early. We're opening early on Thanksgiving night so that everyone has to fucking rush to their jobs so that these jackasses who are lined outside the mall can come in and shop for sales and we can all be trampled by them and, you know, be traumatized for the rest of our lives by these idiots lining outside of a Best Buy. I don't know. I think it's very... uh, I don't know if that was as much of a thing in, in 1988, but I think it's a very no, uh, yeah. trenchant viewpoint on on mm-hmm. the modern take on Christmas. Yeah, I guess I uh, I didn't I didn't think that deeply about it, but I think I like I do like the update as you pointed out. I don't know why I've stumbled so much. I wasn't ready. I wasn't ready for you. <laughs> you were to panicking hand it back because to me. you uh, love you, you love Christmas outwardly, but you I thought you had another thing. I wasn't ready to talk yet. Um, <laughs> I have nothing to add, but it feels like I should say something. <laughs> As the cadence of a joke. <laughs> uh, I also want to say, uh, before we, as a lead into our quotathon, mm-hmm. one of my favorite things is fake advertisements in TVs, in sketch shows, yeah. anything. I love a fake advertisement. One of the things I love about fake advertisements is that they don't actually have to feel like fake advertisements. They don't have to have the actual like beats of ads. Like if you watch an SNL ad, you're like, no ad runs for two and a half minutes. SNL, right. like yeah. this isn't how ads work. Um, and I love, uh, this movie starts 
with three ads that are going to be part of IBC's like Christmas programming. It starts like in the middle of it. Yeah. And one, the first one, and this, if you want to make Jason and Damon's Anthopolis giggle, you want to quote lines from the night the reindeer, the reindeer died. died. <laughs> Which is basically that new David Harbour Santa Claus. Movie totally. It's totally that. Yeah. <laughs> it's basically die hard in the North Pole from what yeah. I can gather. Yeah. And what I love about it is that it's doesn't it's not cut like an advertisement, obviously, because they're trying to trick the audience into thinking, wait, I thought I bought a ticket to Scrooge. Why is Santa Claus here? But then what I also like about it is that Lee Majors is apparently playing Lee Majors. He's <laughs> he's playing himself. Who is also a person who would fight terrorists? <laughs> what are you talking about, movie? And like Lee, Lee is also like gives this look to Santa at one point. I don't remember what he says, but he looks at him and he's like, uh, oh, "I believe Santa says you've been a real good boy this yeah, year." And then Mrs. Claus says, "Yes, you sure have." She's <laughs> so he's pleased. Like, he's like, "Thanks." Ah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it makes me laugh. I also like the line. This is a one Santa Claus that's going to be going out the front door, which uh, precludes the idea that there might be this might be a shared uh, the Santa Claus universe where there are multiple Santa Clauses mm. that could be murdered by Tim's Allen out there. And, you know, mm. he takes their robes and becomes, you know, Papa, Papa Noel or whatever. <laughs> This movie seems insane, and it definitely seems like a movie I'd want to watch immediately, much yes. to Tyler's chagrin. <laughs> we also get a clip of uh, Robert Goulet's old-fashioned Cajun Christmas, Cajun where he's Christmas. maybe about to be eaten by a crocodile. And we also see a clip of uh, a reboot of Leave it to Beaver, a Christmas special called Father Loves Beaver, which doesn't seem related to Christmas at all. How would you get that from the title that of Father Loves Beaver? But man, did I not get that as a kid. Yeah. If I know uh, your father, he's out chasing beaver. And then Wally just rolls his eyes and then it says, father loves beaver. And little Damon was like, must be a Christmas thing. I guess it's a Christmas I've heard thing. of leave it to beaver. It must be that. <laughs> um, all right. You want to do quote roundup? Yeah, let's go. Oh my gosh. Does that suck? <laughs> <laughs> I just like the way he delivered that. Cause it was like, a little bit of a switcheroo on you. That's a Jason and Damon approved quote. Also in that same scene. Now I have to kill all of you. <laughs> to his board of executives. Who, who does he say? Nobody gets me to. Uh, he says that to Bobcat Goldthwait. Cause he's like, well, we don't want to scare the Dickens out of people. And then Bobcat reacts in no way. And he says yeah. the Dickens out of people. Nobody gets me. Yeah. Uh, I also like from the Night the Reindeer Died trailer, uh, Psycho Sees Santa's Workshop. It's such a dumb line that you just call them psychos. <laughs> They're terrorists. Call them what they are. <laughs> Name them. I don't remember what's happening, but at some point he, he whispers, call the police, which I also liked. <laughs> Robert Mitchum uh, requesting more pet uh, That's what it is. footage for the channel. Uh, this is another, um, well, actually I'll start with this because it's his, his grotesque promo for the, the live Scrooge show involves like showing all the ills that society is facing. Yeah. Um, it has this voice going acid rain, drug <laughs> addiction, 
international terrorism, freeway killers. And it shows a guy like just shooting a guy on the highway, which just, I didn't know was a, an epidemic, but apparently was in. But Bobcat Goldthwait later is complaining rightfully about that, that promo. And he goes, it's not all bad. Just maybe the part with the, the, the guy and the gun and, and the blood and the, and the guy shooting up. I just like that he sort of trails off while he's <laughs> listing these things in a Christmas tra- commercial for a program. When he steals the lady's cab, this old woman at first is like, oh, please, sir. That's mine, I believe. And then, oh, please, sir. Don't. And then he leaves. And she goes, you son of a bitch. You could burn in hell. He says, bye, granny. Bye, bye. <laughs> this is one that me and me and my brother will quote anytime the Word 11 comes up. After he fires Bobcat Goldthwait, he turns to Grace, Alfred Woodard, and he says, he sees a drawing from one of her kids on the wall. And he says, what the hell is this? And she's like, oh, this is a drawing one of the kids did. One of my kids said, here's Santa Claus and here's Mrs. Claus. And he goes, how many fingers does Mrs. Santa Claus have here? And she goes, without missing a beat, 11. (laughs) And he goes, that's right. It's crap. I don't want it on the wall. And crumbles up her child's painting, throws it in the trash. Uh, the way she says 11 without missing a beat, like she, she had knows. already counted it. <laughs> she knew that there were 11 fingers of Mrs. Santa Claus. Uh, it never fails to make me laugh. When he receives his humanitarian award, his his whole thank you speech is amazing. It says, sometimes, sometimes I find myself hurting from giving too much. And I'd say, stop it. I'm always going to cherish this and all of you. And that's right before he leaves the word on the back seat of a cab. Um, I do like that he uh, mocks his brother for wanting to hold a Christmas party and says, send Christmas cards to each other on recycled paper. It's a crock, James. This is not a quote, but when he's um, shooting his gun at uh, the, the ghost, the Jacob Marley character, um, he also makes the sound of a gun. Kablamo. <laughs> Kablamo. Kablam. Bang, bang, pow. I feel like that ties into him watching too much TV as a kid. Mm. You know, thinks of himself as a cowboy. I, as the censor, cannot allow this costume on the air. Why? Specifically, you can see her nipples. (laughs) I want to see her nipples. But this is a Christmas show. Charles Dickens would have wanted to see her nipples then. (laughs) And then the old man who goes, uh, the the crew guy is like, you know, uh, you can hardly see them nipples. See, and these guys are really looking. And you can see her nipples. Oh, it yeah. Is, this poor woman has to just stand there with his her nipples out. He's on the phone with, uh, or leaving a message for Claire. And he goes, I know it's been 15 years since we talked. I do love a look at the watch for an amount of time that does not need to be measured by watches. It's a joke that never fails to make me laugh. All right. I'm trying to, I know we've, I could go on forever. But I feel like I'd be wrong to say, uh, to om- omit when she, when Carol Kane, I think she flicks his nose at some point. She volleys between abject violence with cutesy poo things. Yeah. I think she flicks his nose at one point. And he says, after he's sort of been talking calmly, and he says, if you touch me again, I'm going to rip your goddamn wings off. Okay. <laughs> And that's when she says, you know, I love the rough stuff, don't you, Frank? Um, which took me at least 10 years to decipher. Yeah. It's like cuneiform. Um, 
<laughs> but uh, his reading of that screaming of touch is integral to, to getting me to laugh. It's just, I like people who talk quiet. I feel like we talked about this in another episode. I like when yeah. people talk quiet and then are screaming. I like it within the same sentence. If you want to make me laugh, do that at all times. But this one... He mostly just does the second part. Yeah, that's right. mostly. That's right. That's correct. Now you see why this is one of my favorite Christmas movies. <laughs> you just skip the quiet part. Um, the, this is more for you because I feel like this is, I don't know if you got it from this movie. No doubt I did. What but, I don't know what you're about to say, but I no doubt it is correct that I got it from this movie. And I think, I don't remember exactly the context, but I think it's in that 70s Christmas party when he's with Ghost Christmas Pass. He, uh, the, like the woman who copies her, her uh butt and like showing to everyone she like clearly is flirting it's with her choice Frank. your honor it is her yes. choice to do it she's clearly like wants to uh she's like interested in frank and he he's not he wants to move on and then he goes the current frank goes young lady <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah see i well i feel like that's a mix of maybe this and uh the great jerry lewis <laughs> yeah young yeah. lady um yeah but he uh deliver it like that <laughs> he does say uh when he yeah. bumps is it to tina or is it to karen allen later that he says young lady i think it's when she's walking like away he goes young lady do you shop here often because if you do i can walk on the other side of the street <laughs> all right you want to go to the verdicts i do I have, as for their their new misgivings uh, of about Bill Murray, Bill Murray and Toto, <laughs> uh, I feel like we addressed those completely. Um, mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. In the intro. Um, it makes me watch this with a with a new. It doesn't make me go like I automatically hate it. Like I find Bill Murray funny, so like I'm not gonna all of a sudden hate something just because he's more of an asshole than I ever realized. Um, but it does like put a new spin on watching him be this kind of asshole like he is in the beginning where he's abusive to everyone around him. And it's like, Oh, that's just like his thing. That's like, right. Kind of a comedic version of what he must be really like maybe. So that's kind of upsetting. The gun violence is upsetting. Um, I've always liked this movie and I was not expecting it to be as disjointed as it was. I think it's actually as funny as he is in this movie, it's his Bill Murray's performance is really kind of emotionally uneven. Um, like it's, I kind of get what he's trying to do, but he's, it's really broad. He's playing it really broad. And, and I think that's in some cases really appropriate for the kind of movie that it is, but it also makes the conveying of this, like kind of like change in his character that happens. It makes it like not work for me. Like I don't buy it, which is like why the big, uh, speech at the end is like really it's not cathartic it's not it's a little charming it's charming but it's like it doesn't like fully stick the landing for me and also like the the yelling like they're always yelling <laughs> uh this actually it pains me to say it but your inner child is an idiot i'm not it didn't land for me and i'm i'm almost i'm disappointed that i feel that way because I was ready to like this movie and I have so many great quotes from this movie and I do think it's funny and I don't even say I don't like it, but it is like, I don't think it holds up from how much I liked it as a kid. Damon, I know you're going to disagree. That's fine. Hello. Um, it's, the premise, it's almost the premise of the show. 
no, I see what you're saying. And I, I think watching it this time with a more critical eye, um, I think it is a, kind of a grab bag of a movie. I, yeah. uh, especially like reading some of the behind the scenes stuff, it sounds like it was pieced together a lot. Uh, I think yeah. one thing that really stuck out to me in this viewing was at the end during his manic episode um, of his denouement, where he sort of says, like, he's addressing his brother via television, and he says, hello, Wendy. And there's this weird moment between yeah. him and Wendy Malick, or, wait, is her name Wendy? And also she, the actress's name is Wendy? Yeah, Wendy Malick plays Wendy Cross. Okay, he says, hello, Wendy, and there's this weird beat. And I'm like, am I supposed to know something about their relationship? Yeah. And I mean, I've I read, about that. I've read that? A, a Christmas Carol, the novella. Like, so I'm like, am I supposed to imbue like Ebenezer Scrooge's relationship with his nephew's wife into this? Is that what you want me to do? Or I feel like there's, there's a lot in this movie that isn't addressed or like clarified. I think there's a lot of kind of loose ends and it feels like it may have been going by the the seat of its pants a little bit. I think if I had seen this movie for the first time, that last scene, the manic scene would not play as well as it does. But we've also talked about like how Christmas movies are like an eight ball of nostalgia. Like they just, they are sort of like imbued into you, not just because like your entire family gathers around to watch a movie, but it's like as a kid, like Christmas is like just a cocaine, like minefield (laughs) where you're just like on a high for an entire month and you're just like amped up beyond belief and you're just forming memories left right and center like all the wrinkles of your brain are currently being formed at least for goyim children um (laughs) and so i mean this this movie holds a huge amount of real estate in my brain parts yeah yeah. I don't know. I'm I'm toying with my my emotion is I love this movie still and it really makes me laugh. I don't know if I would recommend it. Right. You know, if someone was like, "Hey, you know good yeah. Christmas movies?" I don't know why I'm talking to truckers. <laughs> but I don't know if I would say, "You know what you should watch? Scrooge. It really holds up." Yeah. I would say, "You know what you should do? You should go back in time." Watch Scrooge in 1989 and then grow off watching it every year at Christmas (laughs) time. Uh, I don't know. I think I will fall on Your Inner Child is Not an Idiot. I don't know if it's a great, like, Scrooge adaptation. Even as I'm saying this, I feel like it's a lie. You know what? I'm just going to go full. Your Inner Child is Not an Idiot. This is a great adaptation. Uh, I am very charmed by it. I do agree that there's a lot of things that don't age well. Bill Murray being... A repugnant asshole. Yeah. Um, the gun violence. Like, what, if a man had a gun, it would be kind of be funny. I'm like, no, no, it's not funny. I know you live in a post-Elmer Fudd world, but I live in a post-Columbine world. And it's just weird. Yeah. Sorry, Scrooge. I don't know why I'm talking to you like you're a person. Um, <laughs> but I think there's a lot to, that is charming here. I think there is a lot of modernization to the Scrooge story, as we already talked about, like make, bringing him into like a current iteration of like how Christmas plays in the culture, but also like, you know, not making Scrooge a, a you know, a money lender and all the baggage that brings. Yeah. And also I'm going to be honest when Calvin says, God blesses everyone. Hot eyes. <laughs> Got the hot eyes right here. I mean, it's completely contrived. Like the whole thing is completely contrived. But isn't Tiny Tim contrived? Yes. Yeah. 
Take that, Charles Dickens. Fuck you, Charles Dickens. <laughs> no, I, I, your inner child is not an idiot, but I see your points, DJ, my dear friend. Um, <laughs> so there you have it. What Done. do you think, everybody? Email us, your inner child is an idiot at gmail.com. If you want to support the show, you can go to patreon.com slash your inner child is an idiot. We want to thank our current patrons, including T. Smith, Caroline Amberson, Dr. Uh, Malcolm's Heaving uh, Bosom, David Mort, Tyler Richardson, Shit on the Cartouche, Jonathan Day, Jeremy Palin, Lindsay Alice Halleck, Larissa Maestro, the supreme ruler of this podcast, Karen Curd, Heather Tuggle, Travis Vance, Demons of Stealing and Axing, Captain Jean-Luc Picard. Lindsay Nell. The Hands of Fate. Dan McIntyre. The Elusive Fan Grumkin. Josh Frigo. Dramatically placed hot dog. Like a news reporter. Beth Sermont. His Honor the Mayor. Just Cause. Scalphosaurus. Particleman. <laughs> the Zesty. <laughs> and Jackson has an unhealthy obsession with me. Yes, he does. Thank you all <laughs> very, very much uh, for your support. We really, really appreciate it. Uh, if you'd like to support like them, patreon.com slash you and an idiot. Thanks for listening, everybody. Hey, and DJ, DJ. good night. Oh, yeah. I want you to do me a favor. It's, it's a, a several-pronged approach. I want you okay. to think of your fellow man. I want you to lend him a helping hand. And lastly, and you have to do this after you've done the first two. Okay. Put a little love in your heart. Okay, what does that have to do? Or should I do that first before I do the others? No, 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 no. Because now it's sort now of I've like emptied. a faith, faith versus works type deal, like a Martin Luther oh, okay. thing. You okay. want to, you know, you do the good works and that will bring you the, the faith in your heart. Okay. Come on. Okay. It's simple Protestantism. God bless us, everyone. Does that make you cry? No, because you're not that adorable child. Wow. Okay. Sorry. Fuck.